Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to another great session. Today we have Alex Becker. Alex is an entrepreneur. He holds 11 patents. And in 2021, he was named among the top 100 MIT alumni in technology. Welcome, Alex. It's so great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure. Alex, to begin with, could you take us back and share with us some of your backstory? How did you get where you are today? Um, how did I get where I am today? Um, well, I guess uh, one could say it all started when my dad brought me a Timex 1000 computer when I was in, I guess, the equivalent of middle school. Uh, one time that he traveled to the US, I was living in Peru at the time. And uh, I taught myself to program uh, with it. I think it had one or two KB of memory uh, and it had an extension to have four K of RAM. And I wrote a program that um, that filled its memory. Uh, I think it was called Crocodiles, it was a game. Um, so that led me to an interest in computer programming, uh, which led me to uh, represent Argentina, my um, country in the International Olympics of Informatics um, in um, Russia, and uh, actually it was Belarus at the time, and uh, and then in Greece. Um, and that um, that interest in algorithms sort of never went away and really formed the basis for a lot of my inventions and companies. Uh, it's really sort of a fascination with algorithms and teaching computers how to do magic tricks if you want. Um, so I think that that was the beginning of how I started. Um, eventually, I uh, became interested in science and studied biology and chemistry and, and economics, um, and eventually moved uh, to the U.S. to attend MIT, um, and then drove across the country to get my PhD uh, in neuroscience at Caltech, um, and um, and then kept inventing things. So, uh, so eventually started my first company and, and kind of never, never looked back. So that was sort of the origin story. An amazing ride and very impressive and such a great example for so many young people to, to look up at, uh, kind of look at your journey and see the possibilities. Alex, and maybe share with us, what was it like to start this first company? Did you even consider going and working for someone else? Or did you knew always that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? During my PhD, I, I, I spent a little bit of time working for McKinsey. Um, and I enjoyed um, working with other smart people there. But, but it clearly, it very quickly made me realize I wanted to, you know, build my own stuff rather than tell other people, uh, you know, what to do with their companies. Um, so... Um, then after I finished uh, my PhD, I had a research appointment between Caltech and a, a DOE lab, Sandia National Labs. And that was an amazing job. I, I, I had an, an amazing uh, boss called Danny Rintel at uh, Sandia, who gave me complete freedom of research. And it was, uh, so it was really fun and interesting. Um, 
but no, I never considered really going to work for um, another company after that. Um, what happened was I, I invented some algorithms that caught the attention of Silicon Valley investors and, and others experienced starting companies. And so they encouraged me to become the founding CEO of this company. I was really, I was really looking for another, to hire a CEO. Uh, and they convinced me to, uh, I guess it was sort of like um, when, uh, when, when Cheney chaired uh, Bush's uh, search committee for a VP and ended up being asked to take the job. This is a little bit like that. I was really just looking for somebody um, and I got asked to take the job and I did. Uh, so that's how it started. Um, yeah. And uh, what happened once you started your first company? Tell us a little bit of a story of uh, how fast did it grow and uh, why you decided to move on to something else? Um, so what happened was uh, we, we got some really interesting uh, results. So I, I invented these algorithms, um, wor work with some really great students um, at the University of Colorado, Boulder, uh, including a great guy uh, called Noel Jordan, uh, who I'm very close to to this day. And, um, and we built algorithms that could figure out the, the meaning of text. So we could actually um, look at a website and figure out what searches people were doing um, that indicated that they would be interested in finding that website. So sort of solving the reverse search program uh, problem. And this was very early, you know, back in 2005 or so. Um, and so we showed that we could multiply a campaign's um, reach by, you know, sevenfold or so, so you know, 700% increase in, in how many um, clicks we attracted, whilst at the same time reducing the cost of each of those by you know, a dramatic percentage, 70% or so, I can't remember the exact number. Um, and that was by by finding the long tail of keywords that, you know, nobody was advertising on uh, and that really indicated that people were interested in that. And then we we, we work with Google and Yahoo to, um, to sort of close that whole loop, place ads there, measure the effectiveness and so on. So it was it was evolutionary marketing um, and, uh, and, and adaptive. Um, and, um, I got, I raised $10 million and, um, and sort of got that company in its way. Um, eventually, uh, I, well, I, I had a difference with some of the, um, early investors there. And I, I, what I really liked was the, the process of taking an invention and making a company out of that. So I, I decided to replicate that process, started a, an invention factory called Abinventio to replicate that process and, and did it um, you know, over and over again. Sounds incredible. And in 2021, you were named among the top 100 MIT alumni in technology. Why were you honored like this? Um, well, one thing I had been uh, working on um, prior to that is um, is Qless. So so Qless was um, another invention I made. Um, I guess back in two thousand six um, that I built into a company with a great team of people um, to eliminate waiting in line. So what we uh, did is let people join a virtual mobile line from their phone and get notified as their turn approaches, um, so they can show up just in time for service. And um, so this just-in just in time um, sort of uh, customer delivery uh, was 
something we we pioneered and and saved hundreds of millions of people uh, from waiting in, in line for all kinds of things from DMV to um, to waits at office depot to urgent care university uh, services etc um, so that was very rewarding to do um, because it went from from an idea while standing in line to a service used hundreds of millions of times uh, around the world um, you know including by by you know many people I know so that was and myself so that was that was very rewarding Alex and in working on so many different ideas and starting those companies what were some key realizations or how moments you had or learnings even about how to find the right partners to start a business with what to look for so first of all reference check uh, your per, uh, partners uh, reference check their partners because you may you may start off with one and end up stuck with a with a partner of theirs um, I would say work with them for a test run before deciding to partner with them for good um, reference checking should be off list reference checking so you know it's useless to trust just the people that they give you but you know talk to uh, talk to the founders of companies that they've worked with before. Um, you know, I would I would talk to every one of every one of the founders of companies they've worked with before, um, and and that should give you a pretty good idea. And, and then you need to then you need to learn how to how to reference check in a way that gives you meaningful information because a lot of because people don't like to speak ill of somebody else, and so you can get a very superficial background check if you don't um, if you don't delve deeply. And so you want to ask questions such as, you know, among all the people like this that you work with, where would you place this person, right? And so that that way, you know, they you can't just blandly, you know, say something good about. They, they can't put everybody at the at the top, and so, um, so that's a one useful question. Or uh, another question is, um, you know, if you if if you were to work with this person, what advice would you give them uh, to to help them succeed? And then uh, that's that tends to come up with with things that they would like to see improved in that person. Um, so, um, and and then the other piece of advice I'd have is um, partner with people who who have been in operating roles before. Um, you know, investors who just bring money do not belong in your board of directors. I mean, they 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 can invest, they can benefit from your your growth, but they should not be in your board um, because. You know, ra raising money is not a qualification to to elect somebody to a board of directors. Alex, and you obviously an incredibly successful entrepreneur. You went through this entire journey of starting something from zero and then building something multiple times that became something big. Could you share with us how did your mindset shifted from running a company that makes 100,000 a year to a million to above and above that? Um, I think, you know, as you grow, you put more emphasis in process, um, right? And, and processes and training to teach other people to do things in a, you know, a replicable way. Um, so initially you, you're, you, you were, you know, dozens of different roles and hats uh, and over time you fill some of those roles and uh, with other people and so you keep less of those hats and I guess that's one of the fun things about growing a company is is taking out hats and not having to wear them anymore um, 
you know, and you essentially you end up keeping the hats that you haven't found anybody to take yet. Um, so you're you're always taking the the thing that nobody else wants to do or knows how to do. Um, so you're sort of the you know the the, the head of last resort for hats if you want. Um, and as you grow, you hopefully can you know hand off more and more of those hats until until you've given you know most of those away. Alex, and what do you think is the difference in the mindset between someone who runs a one million dollars a year business in revenue versus twenty million? Um, I don't know if I have a, a very clear answer for that, um, but I, I think the key to growth is to remain in the mindset of, an, of early on, right? I think it's easy for larger companies to become complacent. Uh, and so in a way, you always want to remain with the mindset of a small company and always looking for how to really disrupt uh, the market. What happens as you grow is you tend to be more, you, you tend to spend more and more time protecting the market and the revenues you already have. Uh, and that makes people be less disruptive um, because they don't want to disrupt themselves because they're too busy keep, you know, keeping their customers happy. Uh, and that can make them miss out on the next revolution um, and just keep evolving. So I, I would say that, um, you know, that in that sense, you, you should try to minimize those differences to, to always stay hungry and looking, looking for change and disruption. Alex, and in the last few years, what was maybe two, three aha moments, realizations that you had that really impacted the way you view the world, any of the businesses you are building, and just generally your life? Well, one uh, has been, I think, the um, realization that the drones will will change the world as we um, as we know it. Uh, that the whole vision we've long had of of robots helping change the world will really come true with drones uh, rather than with robots that look like C2DPO and R2D2. Um, and so that that led me to start um, my um, latest company, uh, Drizit, which is a platform to let uh, people fly a drone remotely from anywhere in the world and for people to put their drones on the network to uh, monetize them and let other people um, fly them. So. Um, so bringing the shared economy to drones, um, coming from the realization that every person will benefit from having drone access to drones in, in many locations, and that it's not practical for each person to own drones in each of those locations. Uh, and that conversely, each drone um, you know, is not used by any, by any one owner most of the time, and therefore uh, there's plenty of opportunity for, for sharing and monetizing that time. Um, so that's definitely been one. Of those realizations. Any other realizations you could share? I think that, I mean, the, to me, time is my most valuable asset. So, um, you know, not uh, a lot of the stuff that I've done and some of the stuff I'm doing are relates to not wanting to waste time. So, to making sure that um, people are able to spend their time wisely. Um, so. You know, starting with the 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 inside behind QLess of letting people uh, wait anywhere and show up just in time for service, um, to other um, you know, th th there's there's other applications um, in in that general line of uh, thought. Uh, I think is is key. Um, I just came back from uh, Bali yesterday, 
And uh, it was really interesting at the airport in Indonesia, I saw something I had never seen. And, I, and I've been to so many three countries or so, um, which is they had chairs for people standing in line. So, so it wasn't as advanced as, uh, as Qless, but at least they had you, uh, the possibility of you sitting down while you waited, which I thought was really interesting. I had never seen that before. Um, so in general, I think that and, you know, businesses who respect their um, customers' time will uh, will thrive. Um, another realization uh, of relevance to the pandemic, and that I had uh, very early in the pandemic, I think around uh, you know April of 2020, was the fact that this pandemic is really a a pandemic of uh, vitamin D deficiency. That people who are not vitamin D deficient uh, fare much much better uh, with uh, with with uh, with COVID nineteen, um, and that the best thing we could do to protect people was to make sure they were not vitamin D deficient, either by give, you know, making sure they have enough exposure to sunlight or or by giving them uh, supplements of vitamin D. Um, so that's that's something that to this day people are not you know don't realize enough. And, uh, and, you know, millions of people have died unnecessarily um, because of, of this you know, pandemic of insufficiency vitamin D. And uh, I know that you actually wrote a paper on sunlight and really uh, it, its connection to COVID that was cited by the press around the world. And so th there was some science behind your findings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, remember my... My background um, in my, my PhDs in biology. So when the pandemic hit, I, I really dropped uh, what I was doing and, and, and started looking closely at the data of the growth of, of COVID-19 uh, infection and death numbers around the world in different, different cities and different countries. Um, and very quickly became clear to me that there was um, a very strong correlation with sunlight uh, levels. Um, that the pandemic had originated in Wuhan uh, on the darkest month in recorded history. Um, that remember, it's a virus that comes from uh, the bat, uh, where you know bats are nocturnal animals. So the, um, these uh, this virus uh, you know evolved in the dark and is not resistant uh, to sunlight. In fact, RNA in general is is very labile, uh, very sensitive to uh, UV radiation, including UV from the sun. It's a single-stranded virus, so it doesn't it doesn't have a second strand to repair uh, damage if uh, if it gets harmed uh, by UV. Um, and so, so there's a direct effect of of, of UV uh, on the virus, in addition to an indirect effect by UV um, stimulating vitamin D production. And vitamin D is key in the uh, prevention of uh, of what are called cytokine uh, storms, uh, which is sort of an an overreaction of the immune system. Um, that happens in response to COVID-19, among other um, other um, issues like that. Um, so the, the data showed very clearly early on that the growth rate of infections uh, and death was very highly dependent on sunlight, and, and that sunlight was a more important factor than than how the government of the, you know, the, you could look at Brazil, which is a country that did everything wrong with respect to COVID early on, and compared to Germany, which had a much better, you know, policy early on, and and you know, and still sunlight was a bigger predictor than government action in in how the early growth um, happened, um, which which was uh, you know ironic because the advice that everybody was getting is stay indoors, uh, and sure isolation was good, but staying indoors was not good, 
And so the, the real advice should have been, you know, stay isolated from other people, but make sure to take enough sunlight or at least vitamin D supplementation. So, um, and yeah, that's, that's one of the things that, that really harmed uh, nursing homes um, is, they, you know, they, they're, they're, they're even more vitamin D deficient. Um, and so, so that was the initial study. And then I did a follow-on study showing that um, African-Americans were much more sensitive to, um, to COVID-19 uh, in, in a sunlight dependent way. So that in places with lots of sunlight, the uh, African-Americans were not much more exposed, um, but in, in places with a lot less sunlight, such as Michigan, uh, the, the, the risk went up dramatically. Um, and that's because they don't get as much vitamin D production because of the dark skin. Um, and then I, um, in that same paper showed that um, Latin um, Latinos um, actually had the opposite effect for, for case fatality rate. So they're, although they were um, likely to get uh, COVID-19 infections um, because of a lot of the professions that they work in, hospitality and so on, a lot of exposure, um, they were less likely to die uh, if they got an infection. So the case fatality rate was lower. Um, and I, I showed some evidence that that may well be because uh, of the time, the, the more time they spend outdoors. So Latinos, um, there's, um, I showed good data showing that they spend a lot more time outdoors um, than other ethnicities, and, and that that you know that generates vitamin D and, and protects them. Um, there's there's a similar um, similar effect on um, Muslim women who use uh, uh, you know use. And garb that again protects them uh, from the sunlight and stops them from getting vitamin D. Uh, so there's there's sort of lots of consequences uh, that all stem from the same. Um, and 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 this came from looking at you know millions of uh, data points uh, for how the the disease progress around the world, which is essentially one one big um, laboratory to show you what uh, what what the virus likes and doesn't like. Thank you so much for doing this work. You're welcome. Alex, a lot of the listeners and viewers that now will be viewing and listening to this are considering to start their own business. They are inspired by your story, by, by your accomplishments. And what I often hear from clients is that they struggle to figure out what to start and they struggle to validate it. Could you give them advice? Well, on what to start, uh, my advice would be start something that you really care about, um, that you're much, you know, you're, you're unlikely to work the long hours you need to do this and to persist as long as it's needed to succeed uh, if you don't care about it deeply. Um, and secondly, if you can, if you can create something for which you are the end user or customer, you know, all the better, because then you are, you're going to be your own expert. And in a way you, you need less validation from anybody else because you, you know what you need. Um, and in terms of how to validate it, um, you know, it's talking with actual customers and users, you know, just, um, you know, getting, that's the only feedback that matters. And as you were building various companies, did you change your process of validation? Or do you not pay too much attention? You usually kind of know that it will be useful and you're not worried about validation. You, you know, you, you, you can't rely 
too much invalidation when we're doing you're doing something that's that's very innovative um, because people you know don't are not going to be as visionary as you know as a as a good uh, entrepreneur. Um, I mean, when I when I started Qless, and I, I I mean I remember showing up at the Palmer show, Palmer House Hilton Hotel in Chicago, uh, which is a very famous prestigious hotel in in Chicago, and um, I was trying to convince somebody there to use QList for the long line at the front desk. And they said, well, there's been a line here for a hundred years and there will always be a line here. And it's just, that's the way it's going to be. Um, and so, you know, they, they couldn't see it. Um, and today, you know, I mean, hundreds of millions of people have, 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 have used, um, you know, QList, let alone mobile queuing in general. So, um, you know, likewise, when, you know, you're creating a new platform like the iPhone, you know, people don't even know how they're going to use it until it's available. And then, then people start coming up with ideas. And that's, um, that's to some extent true for, the, for a platform like Grizzit. Um, so, so, yeah, I'd say, um, you know, you want to, what you do want to do is uh, iterate frequently and make sure you put things in the hands of the customers as soon as possible. And then keep building uh, while while gathering feedback from from people using it. Um, the sooner you start using it, the more you know real life applications, the more usable in real life your your product or service will be. And any extra advice you have for founders who are not technical, so they don't have technical skills, but they have business skills. Maybe anything in addition to what you already shared, specifically in searching for technical co-founder? Well, the kind of technical co-founder you want at the beginning, um, it's actually a really, um, it's a really hard combination that you're looking for because you're looking for somebody who has uh, sort of the, um, the left brain, you know, the, the technical chops, but then also the managerial skills to to manage and grow a team as, as it grows. And, you know, those, it doesn't need to be the same person. You could replace, um, you know, you could start with just an initial developer and then hire more of a leader. Um, but ideally, you know, it's that same person who becomes the, the leader, at least initially. Um, but you also want somebody who is really entrepreneurial, right? So you want somebody who can you know, in Spanish, we say, lo atamos con alambre, which means, you, you know, you tie it with wire, like somebody who knows how to figure it out and, you know, fix things and, uh, you know, no matter what, because he's inevitably not going to be the expert in everything you're going to need. He or she is not, they can't be the expert in everything that you need to do. So they have to just be somebody who's willing to learn and figure it out. Um, and so the ability to, and willingness to learn is key. The adaptability to, you know, uh, and the, the scruffiness, the, the, the ability to do things without a lot of budget or without any budget at, sometimes at the beginning. Um, the ability to delay gratification, right? You know, you want nobody who wants to call themselves a co-founder can be thinking about how much they're going to get paid at the beginning because at the beginning there is no money. Um, and, and, and you want somebody who's thinking about the, you know, the big reward later, not the, not the smaller reward at the beginning. So... So that's a key aspect too. Um, it takes it takes a particular mentality to be able to be a co-founder like that and and be be thinking about uh, eating what you kill rather than you know than just sitting at the table and asking where's the meal. Alex, and what are your thoughts on the right time to bring 
in investors? Um, the right time to bring investors is when uh, money on the right terms is available. There is no right time um, or wrong time. There are the wrong and right investors and right and wrong terms. And in selecting investors, what would be some of the things you, you would recommend people to watch out for? Well, first, there, there's investors who think about how to make the pie bigger so that their share of the pie becomes more valuable at the same time as everybody else. Those are the investors you want. There are other investors who think about how they can expand their piece of the pie to make it the whole pie. Um, and, and even at the expense of reducing the size of the pie uh, or at the expense of growing the pie. And those are completely useless and, and they, they, they distract everybody and they create infighting and, and, and they stop you from actually growing the pie. And, and even, even if they succeed in keeping 100% of the pie, they don't make a fraction of the money that they would make if they actually help make the pie a lot bigger. Um, so that's, um, that's the first thing I would look, like, would look for. Second thing I would look for is integrity. I mean, there's there's a lot of crooks out there, um, so you want people with a with with a track record of integrity. Um, you know, people not, not people who extort, who steal, who pillage. And thirdly, I would look for uh, experienced operators, people who have experienced, you know, running companies, because uh, those are the people who are going to have the most useful advice for you. Um, you know, in in almost every industry today we have specialization of labor uh you know you don't expect you would never have the person who raised the money uh for boeing be the pilot of the boeing jet that boeing builds like it's completely different skills and yet venture capitalists uh do that all the time they have the partners who raised um the money from their limited partners um go and serve on the boards to tell ceos what to do and pick CEOs, and those are completely different skills. Raising money from a pension fund has absolutely, gives you no qualification to choose a CEO or, 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 or determine a company strategy. Uh, and so you want, you want people who have that experience in your board. Um, Thank you, Alex. So I know that you just recently wrote a book called 101 Clues to a Happy Life. Why did you write that book? I wrote that book because my children were turning uh, 18 and 21. Um, I originally actually started writing when I um, planned an expedition to Africa, uh, which I thought was dangerous enough that I needed to put what I would have taught my kids in case I don't come back. Um, and, uh, and then my kids turned 18 and 21 last year. And so um, that I thought that was uh, as good a time as any to put this into a book and, and give them um, the advice that I wish I had had when, when I was their age. Alex, and in uh, reading your book, it was clear that you really love your children and they changed your life in some big way. Could you speak more about this experience? Because I know some of the listeners and viewers do not have children yet. Some are trying to decide if that's the right step for them in their life. So I think that hearing your experience would be very helpful. Well, yeah, children, um, I mean, there's a love that uh, you don't experience until you have your own children. Um, so I, it's, it's an incredible experience and a very, a very rewarding one um, that I think ranks among the 
you know some of the best experiences that I have uh, had in life. Um, I mean, we are we've been selected um, through evolution to just you know love children, love love our children in particular. You know the the reason we find their their high pitched voices cute, you know, is because we evolved to that so that we would take care of them. Um, and so everything these little kids do um, is you know we find adorable. Um, and as they grow and and develop skills, it gets better and better and better uh, for many years, you know, until they become teenagers. So uh, so I, it's an experience. I yes, I would highly recommend to somebody who's thinking about that. Alex, and when I speak to people who are considering to have children, but are not sure, one of the common concerns is that they want to contribute to the world, they want to realize their full potential, and they're concerned that it, they will not have enough time, they will not have enough energy to also have a family. And you managed to have both. Um, the key to happiness is balance. Um, so, um, you know, you... Yeah, there is time for, for doing both. Um, you know, sure, you know, kids take time. Um, you are not productive if you're working 24 seven, you know, you need to sleep, you need to eat. Um, and, uh, and kids are, are one of those, you know, basic, you know, necessities of life is, uh, you know, your, you know, they, they, uh, the ancient uh, Chinese for uh, proverb says, you know, if you want to have impact, make sure to plant a tree, write a book and, and raise a child, right? Um, it's, um, you know, I, I heard um, Barack Obama speak uh, recently, and he said he, he thinks he's gonna have more impact on the future by the people he's trained um, through his foundation than through what he did, uh, you know, in eight years as president. So, you know, if, if somebody who has reached the, you know, one of the most impactful positions on the planet, uh, which is to be president of the United States of America for two consecutive terms, thinks that even that impact um, it pales in comparison to the impact you can have in training others. Um, and, and I don't think he's wrong um, because there's a, there's a multiplicative effect of training others, right? Um, and so um, children are like that uh, too. So even if you just cared about impact, children are a way to have impact. I mean, if you, if you really care about impact, you should have lots of children and, and you know, create an army of people who can really have impact. Um, so that, that would be the, the impact um, driven way to, to think about it. Thank you, Alex. You covered a lot in your book. And I was wondering what would be the top things that will come to mind to answer a question. What are some of the key ingredients for a successful and happy life? Well, um, yeah, you're right. There's 101 clues in the book. Um, so it is it is uh, hard to uh, summarize that into, into a few key, but um, let's see. I would say that, um, I mean, starting with the, um, with the topic or something close to the topic or related to the topic of children, uh, a key one is sex. I think there's a, there's a, there's a pandemic going on, um, and it's not the one that everybody's talking about. Uh, there's a pandemic of insufficient sex. Americans, Brits, uh, you know, have have um, ridiculously low amounts of sex, and and much less than they they used to have, um, and and that leads to lower happiness, or sure, and it leads to people you know being frustrated and venting anger. So 
Um, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm not even talking, I mean, I'm talking about even, even averages, right? So um, let alone people who are below uh, the average. Um, so, so that would be the first one is, you know, make sure you have um, sex frequently enough. Um, the, I mean, the second one, uh, you know, relates to um, to children and making sure that um, you not only have uh, kids, but actually, you know, spend meaningful time with them. So for for, for a decade, I coached my son's uh, soccer team, uh, and it was incredibly rewarding. And you know, and we eventually won the AYSO uh, championship for the for our, our region, which is one of the largest in the country. You know, and, and it was a super, super fun thing to do and, and also bonded uh, me closely with uh, my child, but not only with my son. There were, I mean, I, I would for the longest time run into uh, kids uh, who would say, hey, coach, and, you know, and parents of those kids. Um, so I think that's, um, that's another one. And, and you know, particularly, you know, I, I'm guessing a lot of your viewers and listeners are cerebral people. Uh, who perhaps like me were not the best at playing uh, some sport um, growing up. The coaching is, a, is an incredible opportunity for a cerebral person to be good at, uh, at a sport uh, because you're really providing strategy to others. Um, and so I found that I was really not a great soccer player, but I was a really great uh, soccer coach. Um, so that's uh, uh, another one. There's a, there's a related... Um, and I'm not giving these in any particular order, but one of them leads me to another. Another one is to live life with passion. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm known among those who know me as a person who lives with passion. Uh, one of my birthday gifts uh, that I most treasure um, is uh, it's a map of the world that says, um, you know, Alex's travels live, live with passion and, um, and where in which I mark every place I've been to. Um, and I think that, that applies to everything you do and, and it's a key ingredient. So for example, when I was coaching, you know, I, I mean, I was totally passionate about the games and, and that shone through to the kids who started really caring and when they care, they, they do better. So, so caring and having passion about things is a key ingredient of, of happiness too. Um, I would say there's another one, which is um, what I would call the principle of, um, so, the, well, actually there's a couple here. So one is um, the principle of diminishing returns, which is, you know, the, you get the most impact from any one activity in, in the initial, um, you know, so you get more happiness from your first night at a hotel than you'll get from the second, third nights at the same place. Um, and so that can be um, used uh, lots of times to, to get a lot of the impact. You know, it, it's sort of the 80-20 rule, right? You can, you can get 80% of the impact with 20%. Uh, of the effort, um, and so you can use that to to really sort of stretch your budget, um, whether it's money or in time, to get a lot of happiness and return out of that. Um, and there's another um, principle that I developed, which is sort of that of um, if you want, you know, engineer scarcity, um, just to say we are our brains are experts in detecting change. We don't detect constants. Um, and so if you are going to derive happiness from uh, something, you have to create change uh, in order to, uh, otherwise you just adapt to it. Um, and so creating um, sort of this, uh, you know, intentional scarcity of something, you know, you 
if you have a wonderful home, leave your home for some time and then you come back to it and you're like, oh, how I love home. Uh, if you, I mean, the, the, you know, not spending every day with your children, but then making sure that when you spend the days that you spend with your children, you know, you are really taking advantage of them because you miss them during the days that you didn't have them. Uh, it, it makes you appreciate things more. So I think that's another principle to use. Those are a few examples out of uh, 101 in the book. Thank you, Alex. And uh, based on your book and based on talking to you, I can see that your children are very lucky to have you as a dad because you really take your job as a dad very seriously. Thank you. Thank you. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to tell them that you say so. Alex, and uh, what surprised you in raising your children? What did you not expect? I think one of the things that may be surprising is how different each child is from each other. Um, I, I've long, um, I've long been an, um, sort of an advocate of the fact that in the nature versus nurture debate, it really is sort of more nature than nurture. Uh, and, and having multiple kids is, is a perfect demonstration of that um, because you give them all, you know, you try to give them all the same nurture. They, got, they all get a very similar nurture, um, but they are completely different because they come with different set of genes. Um, and so that's, um, I think that's one of the things that is still, um, I think parents find surprising and is really interesting to watch is how each one is, is their own person. In making sure that you have a close bond with them, that you are very strong family together, what do you think are the key success factors? It's time, um, it's sharing uh, with them, you know, sharing your life, you know, like they know what, what happens in my life. I mean, even, you know, the, the difficult things and, 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 and the, the failures and uh, they know about all of those things. Um, so, so I know like my youngest, for example, has an incredibly good business sense. And I like to think that that got honed over the years because, you know, every time I had a question I was pondering, I would, you know, tell him what I was pondering and I would ask him what he thought. And, you know, until the time that, you know, by the time he was, you know, 14, uh, 15, his, his advice is excellent. Um, so those, those are some of the things is sort of, you know, time together and sharing. Um, those are the main things that come to mind. Alex, and uh, what are some of the questions that you're still trying to answer for yourself? Any, it can be related to anything, but what are the key questions you're still trying to answer? Um, well, I think we're, we're I'm always trying to become a better human. Um, I think the most difficult thing in anything I do relates to interacting with other people, right? It's like, um, you know, humans are the most complicated, you know, entities um, uh, that we know of out there. Um, and so interacting with each person is, uh, is a world and, and, you know, we can, we can always get better uh, at that. Um, I have one of the pieces of advice in my book is, Write yourself an instruction manual for each person, each key person in your life. You know, learn how to how to deal with them effectively. Different people require different methods. People like to uh, cite the so-called golden rule of uh, treat others like uh, like you would like to be treated. Um, that's a terrible rule. That's uh, that comes from projection of assuming that other people want the same thing that you do, but they don't. Uh, the right rule is uh, treat others the way that they would like to be treated. 
Um, and so you have to learn how each person would like to get treated. That's a great advice. Alex, and um, if you could give yourself advice when you were 18 years old or 21 years old, when you were starting out, what that advice would be? That, that, that would be this book, 101 Clues to a Happy Life. That's exactly what I try to pour in there. Um, yeah, I think we, we covered a, a few of the key, uh, key aspects. You know, so pick, pick your partners carefully is definitely a, a key one. Um, I mean, I think you have, um, you have a bunch of entrepreneurs um, in your audience. So a very key um, one there is be very careful about constituting your board of directors. Uh, and about how you structure um, your, your, your corporate structure. Um, those are key. So I, I have a, another book um, yet to be released, um, 25 Blenders uh, You Can't Afford to Make in the Board of Directors. And, uh, and so that's, that's a key thing to get right um, for entrepreneurs. Um, you know, preserve, as, as an entrepreneur, you want to um, preserve control and make sure that uh, people who understand the business and really care about it are in control of the business and not not people for whom this is uh, a something that they're not experts in and b one of a zillion things they they care about um so those are some of the things that i um you know i would give to myself when i was starting out as an entrepreneur thank you alex to make sure that our listeners and viewers don't just listen to it and uh, forget everything that was mentioned today I was wondering if you could uh, share with us, what would you recommend are the practical steps our audience can take tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. to implement some of the advice you shared? Well, so speaking more, more generally than just what we've shared in, in this particular interview, um, I'd say one, one of the things you can do uh, tomorrow morning is call your parents tomorrow morning and every week. Um, you know, I mean, this is, this is one of the things that I think is um, is missing in the U.S. compared to a lot of other societies, is that close family contact. I mean, it's like I, I mentioned, I just flew back from Bali last night, and I was driving today and seeing the homeless encampments here in Los Angeles, and you know, it it, it really is incredible to see you know one of the richest societies on earth have so many people who uh, who are so left behind and on their own. Um, you know, I, in all my, I mean, I, I, I drove all over the island of Bali. I never once saw, you know, a homeless encampment. Uh, and even though Bali is, is incredibly, um, you know, poor compared to the U.S. on average. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the, the family ties uh, and the containment from family in a place like Bali compared to the U.S. Um, so I think keep those family ties strong. And, you know, that starts by, you know, calling your parents and calling your children every single week, at least. Um, that's something that's very easy to uh, make action actionable. Uh, second one is one of the clues in my book is that one of the most inexorable deadlines, or sorry, the most inexorable deadline is death. Um, and so you, you want to prioritize um, time with the older people in your life. Um, let, at least they, they die on you before you get to them. Um, and so schedule a visit, schedule a visit tomorrow to see the oldest person you love, you know, and uh, don't postpone it. Um, going on uh, one of the other topics you covered today, make love to your partner as soon as you wake up. 
tomorrow morning and every morning. Um, you know, give give the 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 book uh, 101 Clues to a Happy Life uh, to three people who could use it the most. Um, you know, that starts paying it forward. Um, the book is available already on uh, audiobook on uh, on Amazon, um, and uh, it will be available in the in the other uh, in other versions uh, soon. Or you can uh, sign up to be notified upon uh, release at 101clues.com. That's 101clues.com. Um, I could, I could give you a couple more, um, you know, um, if, if you like to travel, um, you know, and, and you want to get additional funds for that, put your home up for rental on VRBO and booking.com, lovehomeswap.com, Airbnb, um, you know, and make money while you travel. Um, that's, that's an, you know, people say, I don't have, uh, you know, the money to travel. You, you could be traveling all the time and make money because it, it's actually cheaper to, to live in a place like Bali than it is to live in the U.S. and so uh, it's really it's really not difficult um, to to travel for free um, if you if you if you do that. So those are, are a few actionable things that people can do tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. Thank you, Alex. What are a few books that you found instrumental for your growth as a professional and a human? Hmm. I, I, first of all, I like to read uh, biographies. I'm, I'm reading now one of Alexander Graham Bell. I've read um, Walter Isaacson's one of Steve Jobs. I've read uh, Walter Isaacson's one about Albert Einstein, uh, who was, a, who was a, um, a second cousin of my great grandfather. Um, so I'd say, you know, biographies of, of great people are, are definitely um, on the top list. Um, I enjoyed The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil. Um, to, um, to really uh, hone in on the point of, uh, about exponential um, processes and exponential growth. Um, um, I mean, there's, there's books I've loved that, that are not, you know, instrumental in any practical way, but that, that are, you know, amazing books. I, I love Herman Wouk, uh, Winds of War, War and Remembrance. Um, uh, I've... Um, you know, the, I mean, those are a few of the, one, the first ones that come to mind, um, but, um, you know, there's, there's lots of great books out there. Thank you, Alex. This is a great place to end this session. Before we do that, do you have anything else you would like to add or share? Um, no, I'd, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you have a, if, if you'd like to fly a, a drone remotely from anywhere uh, in the world, I'd say, you know, come, come and uh, join us at drizzy.com. Uh, we're, we're looking for, um, you know, initial um, launch locations for that. Um, and then, you know, send me, send me feedback on, on the book at 101clues.com and maybe uh, send me, send me clues that should be included in the, in the next edition. Thank you, Alex. So great to have you with us today. Really appreciate all your advice that you shared. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. And for everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. You can check out Alex's book. It is called 101 Clues to a Happy Life. And I'll see you all next time. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com.
It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.